How is everybody? All right. So two things before we get started, uh, before I do this vision service today. One is I want to highly encourage you to pick up one of these fast guides. Again, last year we had about 2,000 people do this fast with us. We ordered 2,500 copies of this, and I'd love to get rid of all of them. And uh, if you want, last year some people did this. They have people that are maybe out of town or family or friends or people at other churches, and they'll buy like four or five or six or seven. They're two bucks. And so uh, people just buy a bunch and give them to friends and do them with, with other people. You're more than welcome to do that. We just want, it's not about our church. We just want as many people praying and fasting and dedicating a, a good chunk of their year at the beginning of the year uh, to getting closer to Jesus. So please, please pick one of these up. And even though all these uh, devotionals are not labeled by who wrote them, the first one is really, really good. Just want to throw that out there. So uh, anyways, pick up one of those. Second thing I wanted to say, if you were not here last weekend, uh, Dave absolutely crushed it. He did a fantastic job. Yeah, probably, probably one of the best lessons I've ever heard him teach. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I was at all four services. People always come up and they're just like, oh, you know, do you have a good time getting away? And I'm like, I was at all four services. So um, I was there. I was just kind of hanging out and uh, got to walk around really, really good. And uh, it's neat every once in a while to get to just see um, how well our church is doing and how many people are involved and very, very proud of our volunteers and our team and everything else. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's what we're gonna do today. Um, I'm gonna do a vision service. I do this twice a year. And if you're new to the church, maybe you've never heard one of these before. If you've been coming for a while, this is a little bit different than the vision services I typically do. Um, I prayed a lot about this. I always pray about you know, all the lessons that I teach, but this one I just spent a lot of time in prayer and this one's a little bit more spiritual, I think. A um, little bit more like a lesson than it is just me giving you a bunch of facts and figures about our church and ways to get plugged in. I'm gonna do all that as well. Um, but I prayed a lot about, God, what do you want our church to be? And um, God, what does your Bible say that the church, not just this church, all churches, what does it say that we should be doing and, and what you expect out of us? Now, the reason I've been praying about that a whole lot lately is there has been just tremendous criticism about Christianity and about organized church. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, the church is imperfect, they make a lot of mistakes, they're doing these things that they didn't always do in the first and second century when the church first started and all these kinds of things that people say. And the big one that a lot of people say, unfortunately, a lot of people who claim to be Christians is they say, we love Jesus, but we just don't like organized religion. We don't like church. Now, here's the thing. God has nothing against organization. In fact, I think I can show you a lot of scripture in the Bible that says that God's quite a fan of being organized and having things in order. Scripture like God is a God of order, right? He does things in a certain way. The wisest man who contributed to the Bible, the wisest man that's ever lived, was a guy named Solomon. And this is what he says about direction, about organization. He says, without revelation, vision, organization, a pathway, People run wild. If, if the, people don't know where to go, they go everywhere. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Now, where I think modern day church, especially in the United States, has gotten off the path is we have followed culture and the desires of man and not the desires of God. But if we will get back on the divine path, God's path, divine's instruction, we'll be happy. We'll get it right. Now look, after saying all that, I want to make it extremely clear today. This church is imperfect. I hate to break it to you. Whenever you deal with people, especially a large group of people, there's always going to be imperfection. The Bible says that until perfection returns, we're going to be stumbling in the dark. I mean, because Jesus has not come back yet, we are still imperfect. And we will continue to be imperfect. I was sitting over here at the 7 o'clock service with my wife, and Dave was about to teach, we were in the last song, and I sat down and I pulled out my phone and I wrote out what's on the screen right now. And I don't, this may be no big news to any of you in this room, but it was to me. And God reminded me that we are imperfect people, we're always gonna be imperfect. But what we are communicating, what we are sharing is a perfect message. Corey Trimble is imperfect, but this Bible is perfect. The message that I present, the message that you present to others, and the God that we present is perfect. So here's the thing. We will continue to be imperfect. I hate to let you down. This church will fail you in some manner. 
I will fail you in some manner, all people will fail you on some level. But with God's divine instruction, if we will follow what God wants us to do, we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Will we make mistakes? Heck yes. Will we mess up sometimes? Of course we will. Sometimes we'll feel like we are fumbling around in the dark. But if we will follow God's instruction, we'll be okay. We'll make it. So here's the vision that God gave this church 10 years ago. We started, uh, our church will be 10 years old next month, right? And so 10 years, a little bit more than 10 years ago, I was doing a lot of praying. I was in a really weird place in my life. I knew God wanted me to start this church, but I didn't know how in the heck we were gonna do it. I said, God, I know your word says I need a vision for this church. The church at that time was me and my wife and a guy named Stephen. And I said, hey, I know that you want a vision for our church, but I don't have it, so what is it? And I felt like God gave me this, and we've been promoting this. It's all over our literature and our walls. And God said, this is what I want you to do, Corey, for this church, to lead people to Christ through authentic worship, authentic community, and authentic community service. Very, very simple. Just a little three-point vision statement. But even though that's very simple, I have to continually, and boy, I did it a lot the last couple of months. I've had to continually go back to this book, not what popular Christian writers are writing or not what the cool trendy churches are doing or that. I went straight back to the Bible. God, what do you expect? Now that I have 4,000 plus people coming to this church, it's not just me, my wife, and another guy. There's a lot of people. I have to go back to this and say, God, what do you want out of us? What do you want us to do? Now, the first clear thing that Jesus tells us to do when we get into the word of God is as Jesus was ascending into heaven, he looks at his followers, he looks at what is going to be his church, and he gives them a vision. Whenever I, I throw up a vision statement or whenever I talk to other churches or talk to other Christians about our vision, some people get offended when churches have a vision. How dare you have a three-point vision? That's so corporate. And I'm like, no, 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 it's so Jesus. He had a three-point vision statement. He looked down at his church and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to disciple people. I want you to baptize people. And I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you to do. Now, again, this sounds simple. This is called the great commission of Jesus Christ. It's very, very simple. Go disciple people, baptize them, and teach them. But here's the thing about what Jesus told us in Matthew 28. It takes the entire New Testament to show us how to do it. What are we supposed to do? Disciple, baptize, and teach. How do we do it? Well, that's not just found in one scripture. It's found all throughout the New Testament. So we have to dive in a little bit, and we have to see what God wants us to do. Okay, now before I get into all the different things that God wants us to do according to scripture, I wanna pray real quick, okay? And we'll go into this and we'll see where God takes us, all right? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you so much, God. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for these four walls that we can come in in a nice heated room and we can sit on nice cushioned chairs and we can hear the word and we can worship God and we can be together. Lord, we pray not only for our church, we pray for every church in our community, we pray for every church in our county, we pray for every church, God, in our world, Lord, that you would bless them and grow them and make them into what you want them to be. God, I pray for our group specifically, Lord, that you give us direction, vision. Lord, let us not follow the cultural path or don't let us follow what's popular, but Lord, let us follow what your word tells us to do, God, what you want us to be. Father, we love you. I pray that you bless everyone in this room, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So as I got into the word, one of the first things, and this is often something that people really criticize the church about, one of the first things that the church always did is they had a central meeting place. They had a weekly gathering of people where all people of like minds came together and they worshiped God. From the birth of the Christian church in Acts chapter two all the way to the end of the New Testament, the New Testament tells us that we are to corporately gather together and worship as a church body. Now, I know people say, well, where are there where are any two or more gathered in my name? That's church. That's not true. That's not what the scripture says. It says where are there any two or more gathered in my name? I'm there. I'm with them. But that's not necessarily 
the weekly gathering, the church that the Bible tells us to honor. I always get a kick out of people and they say, well, we're only two or more gathered in my name. I'm like, how does the five-fold ministry work out with two people? If you've ever studied the five-fold ministry, who are the elders of the two of you? Who's the pastor of the two of you? Who's the accountable one? Who's the leader of the two of you? That's not church by biblical definition. Many times in the New Testament, it tells us that we are to gather together. In fact, in Hebrews 10, it says that we should be doing it more and more the closer Christ comes back. In the weekly gathering, this is where we worship together in song. We just did that. This is where we hear biblical teaching. That's why I teach straight from the Bible, line by line, word by word, verse by verse. This is where we take communion together. We do that at all four services all the time. And the weekly gathering is where we pray together, okay? Now, the weekly gathering is also an opportunity for us to seek the truth together. The weekend service is a place to learn through God's word how to live holy, means dedicated to God, and righteous lifestyles, which means morally correct. The weekly gatherings are also a place where spiritual discipline should take place, which means we are to have people in our lives that if we're living in a way that's contrary to the Bible, that we should have people around us that call us out on those things. Guys, I'm not loving you properly if I don't discipline you as a pastor. And now I know some people don't like that word and how dare you try to discipline me. But the Bible says, Jesus himself says, I discipline you because I love you. I tell you that you're doing something wrong, not because I hate you, but because we want you to go the direction Jesus wants you to go. Also in the weekly gathering, when we take communion, there is at least one time a week where we gather together and we think about repentance. You cannot take communion, at least biblically speaking, you cannot take communion unless you have asked God to forgive you of your sins and you're consciously turning away from sin. And so at least once a week we get together, we take communion, and we consciously think about our sin and about seeking God's forgiveness. So we do this big gathering thing a couple of different ways. Tomorrow night we will have our next class. I hope that you guys come if you haven't been to one of those. We give you a tour, I tell you my story, you get to meet some people who work on staff, not all of them, but at least the ones that can help you get plugged into the different ministries. And we kinda let you like dip your feet in the water a little bit before you completely just jump into this church. Another way that we do the big gathering, the weekly gatherings, is that we have four service times. Listen, we do two on Saturday and two on Sunday. If you're new to this church, I'm gonna go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, I get a little snarky during football season, especially college football. And the reason why is our church grows like this every single year, and it doesn't dip in the summer, it dips during football season. Now here's the thing, I got nothing against football. I know some of you think that I do, but I don't have anything against it. Patriots are gonna win today, but anyways, <laughs> nothing against football. <laughs> that gets people more riled up than anything I say. The year that they beat Atlanta, I stood up here and I prayed for his arm, and it was the most miraculous comeback in the history of sports, they said. I don't want to take all the credit for that Super Bowl, I just want, but I do want to take a little bit. Anyways, but if you're a big football fan, here's the thing about our church. If the big game is on Sunday, come on Saturday. If the big game is on Saturday, keep your seatbelts on, come on Sunday. We have four different times. So if you miss a weekend service because of a football game, I'm like, did the football game go for two days straight? You could have made it to one of our four services. How snarky, huh? Anyways, we also have big worship nights three times a year. We have one coming up in February. It'll be in this room. We do one on the square where they shut down the square. We have six or seven, six or 7,000 people that gather on the square, and then we do one at the end of the year. We did our last one at uh, Middle Tennessee State, right, right in the big uh, auditorium that they have there. And so we do these huge worship gatherings. We can all gather together. We can worship. It's just kind of a good way for all four services to come together into worship. Now, Kyle wanted me to talk about this a little bit. We are no longer going to be doing baptisms at worship services like this. And now let me tell you why. I know that that upsets some people. We take baptism extremely serious at this church. And what we've found over the years as people who get baptized at worship services versus people who get baptized after I teach a lesson on baptism, the retention rate is greatly different. People who get baptized just because they're at an emotional worship service tend to not stick around as much as people who have seen in the Bible how important and how significant baptism is. 
So here's the thing, we're only gonna do it the weekend after worship nights. We're gonna do baptisms because you're gonna hear me teach a lesson on it. If you wanna get baptized at another time, we have someone getting baptized after the 11, all you have to do is call the church, tell them when you wanna get baptized, we'll set you up an appointment with Greg or Dave and they're gonna take about 15 minutes and they're just gonna explain to you from the Bible how big of a deal baptism is. Listen, it's not about the numbers, it's about doing it the right way. And we want to let people know exactly what they are getting involved in, okay? So the big weekly gathering, what we're doing right now, is biblical. Some people say, well, they didn't have buildings in the New Testament. They weren't legally allowed to buy buildings in the New Testament, the Christian church. That's why. Okay, anyways, the second thing that the Bible says that we are supposed to do is we're to do the big gathering. We're also to be an intimate community. God himself is communal, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is perfect community within himself. If we are made in the image of God, we are also made to be communal. Just like corporate worship is biblical, small community is just as biblical. It's mentioned a lot of times just in the book of Acts. A lot of times where it says they met on the weekends, then they also met in the homes throughout the week. Small group is important. At this church, we have a gazillion ways, not literally, but a gazillion ways to get involved in some kind of small community. We have groups on campus with free childcare. We have home groups, men's groups, women's groups, marriage groups, Evident, that's young adults, Eon. We have Encounter, Emerge, Special Needs Ministry. We have Echo, Celebrate Recovery, and a lot of others. They're all on the app that Isaac talked about. Now, here's the reason why these small groups are so vitally important. One person cannot be there for you all the time. That means me. I, ca I just can't do it. I would love to. But if I met with 40 people a week, 160 people a month, it would take me two and a half plus years to get to see all of you and to have lunch with you. It's impossible. And that's not even the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be about one central figure. As Moses was going from Egypt to the promised land, millions of people, he didn't know everyone. Not everyone had a personal relationship with Moses. That's why he divided up the group and gave leaders to different amounts of people so they would all have community. They would all have someone to talk to and to get help from. It's very important. We also have two summits a year. We don't just do events for no reason. Any events that we do here at the church, there's a purpose behind them. We do a huge men's event every year and a huge women's event every year. And the purpose of that is to create small groups from that event. We did that because we only had one men's group. We had this big men's summit, and from that, I think, came 12 groups, and now we have like 20-something men's groups. That's fantastic. Women, they just start small groups. It's like women, like it's like wildfire. Hey, group, and women are like all over the place. You don't have to do anything. Women are self-motivated. A lot more work for men, but we have a women's summit as well, and you know, 9,000 groups come out of that. So we continue to try to foster and grow more of these kind of gender-specific groups in all of our different groups, okay? Another thing that the Bible tells us that is an expectation of the church is maturity. It is being discipled. It is constantly growing in our faith together. Now, this is how we do this. It looks very, very simple. It actually is very, very simple. We wanna get people to a worship service. We want them to come to a next class and show them around. Hopefully from that, we'll plug them into some kind of small group. Then we offer a bunch of different classes that help you theologically and help you with different things in life, more specific groups, that's the development. And eventually we want you serving somewhere in the church or out of the church. But through this process, this process may take decades and constantly working through this. This process never ends, but it's very simple, and this is the process we wanna get you involved in. Now listen, you may have been a Christian for 40 years, and praise God, that's fantastic, but if you want to serve, if you want to lead, if you wanna get involved, I wanna ask you to go through the process. So after every single worship night, we do a baptism weekend, and then right after the baptism weekend, we start a nine-week small group called Following Jesus. Now, from that, where we teach the kind of fundamentals of the Christian faith, from that, we will get you into deeper groups. We will push you on through the discipleship process. But look, even if you feel like you know everything about the Bible, no one does. But anyways, even if you feel like you know all that, please consider going through that following Jesus class and going through this process. 
We also offer things like Financial Peace University. We offer divorce care, grief share. We have several groups for people who, who struggle with strong sexual addiction. And the reason why the times and the place and the people are not up there is because we keep that very anonymous, very quiet and discreet. But you can email lifegroups at experiencecc.com if you struggle with those things. And it is a safe way to find some help and get plugged in and work on this issue. Here's the thing though, we are not designed to sit still. A while back I was talking with someone and it really, really bothered me at the last uh, vision service we did back in September. And I was a little, little snarky about this point. We found out that of our volunteer base at this church, almost 70% of them were women and almost 70% of them were under the age of 40. They were younger. And so that means that older people weren't serving as much as they should and men were not serving as much as they should. And I brought that up to the church. And guys, you guys have done a fantastic job of turning that tide. But right after I taught that, an older man came up to me and said, some of us have done our time. And I said, well, if you're breathing, God's not done with you yet. So you still have things to do. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. If you are breathing, if blood is going through your veins, you should still be serving the kingdom of God and you should still be plugged in. Discipleship never ends. We are constantly evolving to be more like Jesus, okay? Jesus himself also said that church should be a house of prayer. Without prayer, we are utterly lost. Jesus said in Matthew 21 to make his house of worship also a house of prayer. Without prayer, we're anxious. We have a culture that is plagued by anxiety and we also have a culture that doesn't pray, ironically enough. Without prayer, we're anxious. Without prayer, we don't know the will of God. Without prayer, we are weak. And the church is called to pray both individually, which means you need to have a prayer life. Do this, right? It's a good start. You need to have a prayer life, but we also need to pray together. We're also, the Bible says, to have the elders of the church pray for you. If you're sick, if you need something, this is why we have men and women at the front that pray for you at the end of service. This is the way the church is supposed to run. We're to pray together, we're to pray individually. Now, how do we do that as a church? Last year, we had our first really big prayer night. We had about 700 people came into this room and we prayed for almost two hours. It was absolutely fantastic. We're gonna do two of those this year very intentional nights of prayer where we're gonna to get together and we're gonna pray. We also pray a lot during the weekend service. We have people come up if you need prayer at the end of this. I hope you're praying before you take communion. Greg or Dave is typically over the, it's a side to pray for anyone who's new and has questions. We pray periodically throughout the service. We also have prayer groups at our church. If you send us an email at info at experiencecc.com, Jamerson, the one guy that sang uh, uh, one of the songs today, if you wanna get plugged into one of those prayer groups, he'll set you up. He'll get you into a prayer group that meets throughout the week and prays here at the church. Another thing that the Bible tells us to do, an expectation of the church, is to be involved in the community. I think this is where our church really hits it out of the park. Jesus said this. Jesus said, whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life is a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came to earth, not so we could wait on him hand and foot, but to serve humanity. So what we do at this church is we intentionally structure the services so you can attend a service. I'm gonna pick on my friend Matt, who's up here in the front row. So Matt will come to the nine o'clock and then he will serve in Echo or Eon or he serves in like 12 places. He'll serve in one of those other places at the following service. Now that makes it easy for us because guys, I know everyone is busy. But what you can do is if you can give up a couple of hours a week, you can come to service, hear the word, worship, stay here on campus, go over to one of the other areas and serve in hospitality or Emerge or Echo or in the parking lot, right? Yeah, it's where everyone loses their salvation. All these different places <laughs> that we can get. Some of you feel guilty right now, don't you? Wait till after this service, the 11 o'clock and you guys crossing. Yeah, that's crazy. Anyways, 
Here's where we need the most help right now. We need a lot of help with Emerge. If you're not familiar with our, our, our program Emerge, it's for special needs children. We're one of the few churches in this county that even offer anything like this, and I think we're probably the biggest uh, 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 special needs uh, ministry in this community. We have a woman named Sarah Matheny that runs that. She does a fantastic job. And what they do is they do a one-on-one -on -one buddy system with kids that have any kind of developmental disabilities, anything like, or physical disabilities. And they minister to them. And so the, the, the problem with that ministry is because it's one-on-one, -on -one, we need a lot of volunteers. So right now, I think she's got about 27 kids and 27 volunteers, and she needs more. So for every kid they get, they need another volunteer, and they actually have a waiting list right now. So we need more. She specifically asked me to ask for men. The kids respond really, really well to men, but we'll take men or women to help. Um, Echo always needs help. Last week, we had 1,025 children at this church. That's a lot of kids. Yeah, you're clapping because you don't serve an Echo. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just joking. There's a lot of kids in this church, and, and they're wonderful. And if you feel called to do that, please let us know. If the Holy Spirit has called you to change diapers, we also need a lot of help in the nursery. The Holy Spirit's never called me to do that, but if he's called you to do that, we need help with the nursery. And of course, we, we, we legitimately do need help with parking. So if you want to help with any of these things, please let us know. We also work with a lot of great nonprofits. We give 20% of our income to nonprofits. We, we direct a lot of people to our nonprofits. We always need help in the church, but there is a lot of great organizations that also need your help. Like Maridel from Doors of Hope. She doesn't just need money, she also needs people to volunteer. Now there's all those nonprofits we can connect you to in the back. We also have 5,000 ministry right now as we speak. We have probably about 200 people in the park feeding people, talking with people, sharing the love of God with people out in Patterson Park. Every single Friday night, we have a thing called bar ministry that our buddy Travis that works here at the church, he leads up. They go out to the bars, outside of the bars. They set up a hot dog stand from, I think, 10 to 2 in the morning. They give out free hot dogs. They give out water. They get people Ubers and Lyfts and help make sure that they help people get home safe and just try to keep everyone safe. And so we've been doing that for years and years and years. You can get plugged into either one of those ministries. Always need help with those things. Here's the thing, though, about service, community service. The Bible says, first and foremost, we are to help this community. So we have roughly 4,200 people that are coming to this church right now, this and the Woodbury Church. First and foremost, our resources go to the people within this community, the household of faith. So if there's a single mom at this church, we can be giving away millions of dollars to the community, but if there's a single mom at this church that's doing everything she can and can't feed her children, we're to help her first. We're to help the people here first, and then as we have the ability, as we have the resources, we go outside of this church, which again, I think we do pretty well. Let me tell you a little bit about this picture. So in some of these remote villages in Uganda, A, they've never seen a white person, so like little kids like cry when they look at you, you know, which is an interesting feeling. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is in these real remote villages in Uganda, these kids have never seen themselves. So I took my phone and all these kids are running up and these two kids here, right, had, they'd never seen a picture of themselves. So he's just laughing, pointing at himself. He just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So that's what this picture is. But we would go into these remote villages and we'd just tell people about Jesus Christ and we'd pray for him. And that brings us up to this. Jesus said, I'm sorry, Paul said to Timothy, said this about Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. First and foremost, what Jesus came to do was to touch our souls, to save us. The most important thing that God calls us to do, everything else is secondary to us teaching the gospel and sharing the soul-saving message of Jesus Christ. There's this time in Mark chapter two where Jesus walks up to a paralyzed man. Guy's laying there paralyzed. Jesus bends down and he's gonna, he, he's gonna pray for him and he forgives him of his sin. The crowd around him is just kind of like, man, what was that? That wasn't that exciting. And Jesus chastises the crowd and says, what's more important, that I heal his soul or that I heal his body? And just because Jesus gets a little sassy sometimes, he healed his body too, right? But the moral of the story was it is more important for God to touch our souls than it is for him even to touch our bodies. 
So here's the thing. Good deeds may open the door. And we should do good deeds. The Bible tells us to do good things for people. That will open the door for us. But if we are not sharing the truth about Jesus Christ, we are quote unquote loving people straight to hell. You ever hear Christians say that? I don't want to share Jesus. I just want to love on people. The most loving thing you can ever do is share Jesus Christ. If I had to choose between feeding a starving child or telling them the gospel message, I would tell them the gospel message. It is more important than anything. This flesh and bone will pass away, but our soul is eternal, and it will land in an eternal place, either a good one or a bad one. Secondary to all things is the word of God. Secondary to all things is the soul-saving message about Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that here? First, we don't just do it around here. This church allocates $40,000 a year. We actually give a little bit more than that, but at least $40,000 a year that we send up to four different churches in New England. We work with a church in Albany. We work with a church in Burlington, Vermont, Manchester, New Hampshire, and Salem, Massachusetts. These are areas where Christianity is, is below 2%. So we send money up there. We send teams up there to help them build their small group programs, their curriculum, their ch uh, children's areas. Maybe if they, they struggle with putting lessons together, I've sent some of these churches uh, lessons and everything else. That's one of the ways. We're not just called to Murfreesboro. We're called to help other people in other places that may not feel like they have enough help. So we help domestically. We also do a lot of work globally. We're sending a team to El Salvador. We have 30 people signed up to go to Uganda and help there this year. We're starting to partner more with mentor leaders, David Whetstone that comes to church here, who does work in Haiti, El Salvador. He does work, he's starting to do work in China, in Togo, Africa. He's gonna help us in Uganda. We're gonna start doing more and more globally to spread the news about Jesus Christ. We are still doing a lot here in Murfreesboro. Now again, last weekend we had 4,200 people between this church and our church in Woodbury. Now here's the thing, we can only grow so much at this location but I don't plan on building a bigger church. I don't plan on getting something on the outskirts of town and building some monstrosity. I don't wanna do that. I don't think that's what God wants us to do. What I feel like God wants us to do in the next 10 years is to eventually we're gonna reach a cap here and that's gonna have to push us to every couple of years we're gonna have to start another church out in areas where people don't usually start churches like Woodbury, Tennessee. No one wants to start a church in Woodbury. We started a church there and it grew from about 25 people to 350 in one year because no one wants to go out there. So we'll go out there. We're gonna do it in Eagleville. Joshua Jamerson, who is up here singing, he's gonna start a church in Antioch about half hour away. And we're just gonna keep going out into these rural areas or places about a half hour from us. And then over the next couple of years, we hope that those churches even do it further. And that's what we're going to do. We're not about just drawing everyone to this place and saying, oh, we got a gazillion people here. We're about spreading the message the most effective way that we possibly can. That's what I think our next 10 years will look like, okay? You guys knew this was coming. Finances are always a part of this. It doesn't just take time and effort and prayer. It also takes finances. And if I'm gonna ask you to contribute to this church financially, I want to make sure that you trust me with your finances, so every year I show you guys where our money goes. So this is how we build our budget at this church. Last year we brought in $3.89 million. So what we've always done is we take what was given the year before and we build a budget based on what we've already brought in in previous year. We build a budget for the following year. Now some churches, they'll take, well, we made $3.89 million this year. Let's make a budget for six. That's called stupidity. And we just, we're not into that. So... We take, that was snarky too, wasn't it? So we take what we've already had a track record of bringing in and we play it very, very safe. Hopefully we'll bring in more than that. We probably will. And praise God, we'll stick it in savings and we'll just pay off the building quicker, but I'll get to that later, okay? So let me show you where all of the $3.9 million in, in 2019, where it's going to go. 38.6% of that goes towards administration. You guys are getting rich. Yes, my 2007 RAV4 makes me look quite lucrative, right? So anyways, no one's getting rich here. This 38.6% includes 30 full-time people. It also includes that we pay the sheriff's department 
to have someone from the sheriff's department, Jared, who's here uh, uh, at a bunch of our services on the weekend to make sure everything's safe. This pays for the childcare. If you have any small groups that you meet with throughout the week and you put your children in childcare, we pay those workers. Now, this is gonna sound really, really bad, and I don't mean it to be bad. The reason why we hire childcare workers versus just volunteers throughout the week is I want your kids to get the very best. And if I have the ability to fire people, they tend to work harder than if they're just volunteers and they have nothing to lose. So I want your kids to be safe. I want your kids to be protected. I want them to have the best time possible while you're in groups. So we pay childcare workers. We also have a maintenance team here, 100,000 square foot building, and it's old and it's not very efficient. So we have a maintenance team that works here. Several guys that work here, we started hiring some young men from Possibility Place, our special needs ministry that meets throughout the week. So we got a couple of guys from Possibility Place who help us clean the place. Our, this includes our payroll taxes. Churches pay tax? Yes, a pretty significant amount actually. So we pay payroll taxes. We also pay an outside CPA to audit us and make sure that we're just on the up and up. And this also includes our health benefits. I know that there was an act passed about something being affordable healthcare-wise. I haven't figured that out yet. We pay over $100,000 a year for our health benefits here at this church. It's very, very expensive. Uh, about 14.5% is our mortgage. Um, we've been in this building or we've owned this building for a year and we plan to pay it off in the next four years. It was a five-year plan and we hope to pay it off in the next four years. This year, we will give away at least $780,000 in benevolence. We'll give that out to nonprofits. We will give that out to other churches. We'll give that out to people in need, 20% of our budget. One day, I think that that's going to be much, much more than that, but we have to pay off this building first. Our ministry expenses are about 13.7%, just all the different things that it takes to keep ministries going. Operating costs, again, for this very efficient building, are about 7% of our income. Build-outs are about 2%. The only thing left we have to build out is on the other side, not of this wall, but of the chapel wall. We have 10,000 square feet that we're building out, and so that'll be used for a bunch of different things. Anything above and beyond the 3.9 million, we're gonna put in savings and then put towards the building. And then, of course, we also have a Woodbury campus that costs about $167,000 a year to operate. We own the building free and clear there. It's about $167,000 to operate, and that does not include the three people that work there, okay? That's in our salary budget earlier. Now, here's the thing about money at this church. I don't know who gives. I don't wanna know who gives. And if you start to tell me, I'm gonna stick my fingers in my ear and make annoying sounds because I don't wanna know if you give or don't give because I don't wanna treat you differently based on if you give to this church or not. Now, some of you may disagree that the Bible talks about tithing. I think it quite plainly talks about tithing, but you may disagree with me on that. And if you do, though, that's okay. But if you get into the New Testament, it is virtually impossible to see that Christians should not financially contribute to the expansion of the gospel. Most of the time when Paul was traveling, he was carrying a bunch of money from richer churches to poorer churches. That's what he was doing. If we're to advance the gospel, it's gonna take time, it's gonna take effort, it also takes money. And I would ask you to pray about uh, uh, giving to the church. So how are we doing with all this? Will seems to be doing okay with it. Um, how are we doing with this whole process? Let me show you some numbers. Our weekly attendance in 2018 grew by 43%. So more people are coming to church, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Last year, we baptized over 350 people in this church, which is really, really good. It was over 10% of the church was baptized that year. Participation in small groups was almost half. That is really, really good. Participation in serving was at 34%, also very, very good. And people who gave at least half the year was at 31.7%. The national average is about 7%. So we're doing really, really good comparatively. If you take this big church and compare it to other big churches, we are hitting home runs. We are knocking it out of the park. But you know what that's like? It's like if you made a 47 on a test and everyone else made a 15 and you're like, yeah, 47, baby. <laughs> That's still not very good. <laughs> so though we could brag about half of our church is getting really involved in doing it, I don't think half of a 4,200 person church is, is where we wanna be. We want more people plugged into the mission. We want more people participating in this. Here's the thing, we don't wanna be the norm. 
The norm right now is Las Vegas style show church. It's sit back, let the professionals entertain you for, man, no more than an hour, right? And let's just keep you there, let the pros do it, but please make sure you give us our money and we'll entertain you, right? We'll bring in some celebrities, we'll bring in your favorite bands. That's not this church. And if that's what you want out of a church, you're in the wrong place. We're here to do life with you. We're here to teach the gospel with you. We're here to worship with you. We're here to get into the mess with you. We're not here to be selfish and we're not here to be cultural. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to get as close to Jesus Christ through his word and through worship and community together the best that we possibly can. So ways to start off. Isaac said that. Website, get onto the app. It's great. Fill out one of those connection cards in those seats. Go see us at the Welcome Center out in the foyer, the Connections Corner, back in the back or over at the Missions Wall. We got people there. Go say hi to them. Ask to get some information and get plugged in and we'll start walking you down that way. Now, here's the thing. Here's where the rubber meets the road today, guys, okay? Got about 10 minutes to do these three slides. We have to ask ourselves, do we want what we want or do we want what God wants? So I'm gonna ask you some questions. The first one is this. Are weekly services, obviously they're a priority to God, are they a priority to you? Is coming to church on a regular basis a priority? Every year this church grows. Last year in January and February, this church grew 900 people in January and February. But churches are kinda like gyms at the beginning of the year. You go to Gold's or you go to Planet Fitness and there's no treadmills open, right? Because everyone wants to get in shape. But wait till about March and there's tons of treadmills open, right? There's tons of room in the weight area, all the kind of, you know, tons of room at the gym. Same thing at church. Beginning of the year, everyone's like, this is the year. And then about March rolls around and life kind of gets right back into the same routine. So I wanna ask you though, this year, 2019, are weekly services gonna be a priority? God thinks they're important you should think they're important too. You need it. God also thinks the word is important. Are you objectively listening to and reading the word? Not only are we hearing the word taught on the weekends, are you diving into it? Man, I hope you guys fact check me sometimes. Maybe I should just throw some heresy in there every once in a while to see if anyone catches it. <laughs> you guys should fact check me sometimes. Not only should you be listening to and hearing the word, you need to be doing the word. You need to be doing what it says, guys. That's what we need to do. Is that a priority? That's what God wants. Are we a house of prayer? Again, every year we do this fast. That's only a tenth of your year, though, guys. We take 40 days and we pray and we sacrifice and we fast. But this needs to be a part of your lifestyle. This is to be a house of prayer. We are to pray together and we're to pray individually. Also wanna ask you, are you maturing in your faith? Again, even if you've been a Christian for 40 years, you should still be evolving closer and closer to Jesus. Are you being discipled? Are you discipling others? Are you still learning? Are you still growing? Are you involved in community? Like I said before, guys, if someone calls this church or leaves an ugly Google you know, review on us or something, man, no one even talked to me. We always ask, are you in a small group? Have you tried to get in a small group? Do you come to church on a weekly basis? Do you serve in any way? Well, I don't do any of those things. No one talks to you because you're not around anybody. That's why no one talks to you. If you walk in and have your arms folded and looking down the whole time and wonder why no one talks to you, it's because you don't wanna be talked to. You wanna be a victim. But anyways, <laughs> are you involved in community? There's enough victims. If you just wanna be different, don't be a victim. Anyways, are you involved in community? Are you serving? Are you giving? And are you sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with other people? First and foremost, Jesus came to save sinners. Are we being conduits of the message of Jesus Christ to those around us? Now, do we want what God wants or is it all about us? Is it all about us? We live in a culture, and unfortunately, this has crept its way into the church. We are a culture of entitlement. We are a culture of apathy. We are consumers, and we are hypercritical. I just didn't really like the stain on Corey's jeans this week. 
it's kind of a light wash, and I'm just not really into that. I don't think I'm going to go to that church anymore. Guy's wearing a t-shirt. Guy is not wearing shoes in the summer. Oh, my God. That's just hypercritical. That's stupid. Guys, that's ridiculous. Well, the music was a little too loud for me. We have earplugs in the foyer. I mean, like, this hypercritical attitude, this consumeristic attitude, what can the church do for me? Jesus was not in it for himself. Do you know, how, do you, do you know Jesus has nothing to gain from us? Nothing. He has perfect community. Well, Jesus made humanity because he was lonely. Heck no, he wasn't. He was perfect before he ever created. Jesus gets nothing from us. He has nothing to gain from us, but he loves us. That's what makes his love for us so unbelievably beautiful. He doesn't need us. He just wants us. And it is not the culture of Christ to be entitled, lazy, consumeristic, or critical. It's not about that. Now listen, I know that you need to be fed. I know that you need to be helped. I know that some of you need healing and you need to be loved by the church. That's why you're here. But listen, we are not filled up. Our cup is not filled up so we can just top it off and not do anything with it. As we are continually fed, helped, healed, and loved, we are to pour out and to feed, help, heal, and love others. We are to be constantly pouring out, overflowing. And so it's not just about us. Yes, do we need to constantly be fed? Of course, but we also need to constantly be feeding others, helping others, healing others, and loving others. So here's the thing about this church this year. Guys, so clearly, I feel like the Lord has told me, 2019 is going to be really, really great and fruitful, and it's gonna be extremely difficult. Your life may not be difficult, but God has assured me that mine will be this year. In fact, just the first two weeks of, January, uh, of this month, I'm gonna fly out to Washington, D.C. next week to meet with some of our senators to talk about a family who I think is just, it, it's a tragic, horrible thing how a woman has been pulled away from her four kids. It's already been difficult. It's already been hard. But here's the thing about this church, and I want everyone in this room to know this before you commit to this church this year. If we are going to deal with the brokenness of ourselves, if we are going to be healed, if we're going to be fixed, we cannot shy away from the ugliness of humanity. We cannot run from the mess. We must run directly to the mess and bring Jesus to the mess and let him clean it up. We cannot put our heads in the sand. We cannot avoid the hard, controversial parts of this word. We're not just going to play church. We're not just going to do a song and dance and let you leave. I'm not going to just tell you that everything's okay and affirm your sin. I'm not going to do that. We're going to run straight to the ugliness, straight to the imperfection, and we're going to say, by God's grace, it's going to be fixed. By God's provision, it's going to be fixed. But if we're going to do that, we have to lay ourselves down We've got to be humble. We've got to acknowledge our shortcomings. And when we are humble and we acknowledge that we are imperfect people, when we do that, we will not only see God move in a huge way in our personal lives, we will see God touch our schools, our families, our friends, our marriages. It may even reach our politicians. It may reach our, our city leaders. It may reach the university, it may reach the nation, it may reach the world. But we have first got to lay ourselves down and say, it's gonna be a mess. But I'm not afraid of the mess. Last thing I'm gonna leave you with, because I'm out of time. So many Christians fall into the trap of isolating themselves from the world. They're afraid of it. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the world. I've conquered the world. It's mine. He created it. Listen, Christian in this room, you don't have to be afraid of the ugliness that is out there. What you need to do is insulate yourself with the Holy Spirit of God. You need to pray that God covers you, fills you, and protects you, and then you need to walk right out into the mess and bring the light right into the darkness. That's what God has called you to do. You are not built to be afraid. You are more than overcomers, the Bible says. As long as God is covering you and walking with you, you do not need to be afraid of the darkness. The dark never overcomes the light, never. It is impossible. Guys, 2019 is gonna be crazy. I feel it in my soul. 
but it's also gonna be very fruitful. It's gonna be impactful. And I want to invite you to go on this trip with me. I wanna invite you to go with me into the mess and let Jesus Christ start to clean it up. Would you bow your heads with me? Listen, up here at the front, at every single service we do this, there are men and women up here that if you need prayer for anything, listen, I implore you, please, if you need prayer for anything in your life, maybe a friend needs prayer, maybe someone's sick, whatever the need may be, please come up here and let some of these men and women pray for you, please. Also over here to my right, your left, Dave is up here, he's got it spoke last weekend. If you have any questions, maybe you're not a Christian and you're just kind of like, what in the heck is this all about? Or maybe you're a, a new Christian or maybe you want to be a Christian, but you don't know what to do. Come over here and talk to Dave. He'd be more than happy to talk to you. He'll answer any questions that he can answer and he'll point you in the right direction. Please come over here and talk to Dave. Here's the last thing. There's communion all the way around you. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, we have the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine symbolizes Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Here's how I wanna pray for you as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I wanna pray that all of you in this room have courage. I wanna pray that you're not afraid or anxious about this year, even if you know in your bones <laughs> that it's gonna be a tough one. God is going to take us to places we've never been. He's gonna do greater things than he's ever done. And you need to trust that. And he's gonna do some amazing things with you, for your family, for your marriage, for your friends, for the world around you. So I'm gonna pray for God's protection over you and God's Holy Spirit to be with you. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church. I love them so much. God, I love this church. Father, I pray that you bless us. I pray that you keep your hand on us. I pray that you give us direction and guidance. I pray, Lord, that you insulate us with your Holy Spirit, God, and Lord, let us walk into the darkness, not to be afraid of it or anxious, God, but to bring the light. Lord, I pray for families. I pray for marriages. I pray for single people. I pray for students. I pray for the children of this church. God, that you would just keep your hand on us and lead us and guide us, God. Lord, even if 2019 is a difficult year, Lord, we know that it's gonna be a good year. We know that you're gonna take care of us you're gonna guide us, Lord. Father, we pray everything in your name. We pray, Lord, and we trust you, God. We love you, and, and I just pray blessings, God, over this church and over every church that teaches the truth and calls you the Savior, Lord. We love you, God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.